Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church sermon podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you to find your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9. As you're turning there, think about when you were growing up. I realize for some of you it it may be a bit harder to remember back that far, but try anyway. Try to do it without hurting yourself. Think back to your childhood. Did you have one of those guys in your neighborhood or in your school, that guy that seemed to be the best at everything? He was by far the best athlete in your neighborhood. Didn't matter what the sport was, soccer, basketball, baseball, football, whatever it was. We had one. We'll just call him Sean. You can imagine, whenever we got together for a pickup game and Sean, he was coming to play with us, which wasn't very often, we all wanted to be on his team. I don't know what they're like today, but back then the playground rules, they dictated that the two best players, well, they were the captains. And they were the ones that would step back and they would pick from all the other players and pick their teams. And Sean, when he showed up, he was always one of the captains. I remember one day, it happened very clearly, we all showed up at the ball field to play some baseball. We got everything set up. Then it came time to pick the teams. And I always hated that part. Always have, always will. I remember feeling humiliated on more than one occasion during that time. Humor writer Adam Rubin, he describes it like this. And I bet some of you, like me, could relate to this. He said this, Choosing teams for any sport was always a special moment for me. After all the other players were picked, the selection came down to me and a fat kid lovingly nicknamed Dump Truck. Then an argument would ensue with both teams insisting that neither of us, neither of us should be allowed to play football or indeed to even walk the earth at all. This was, of course, until they realized that they could trade me to the other team for non-human bonuses. Well, if you take Adam, we'll give you an extra 15 yards and this pointy rock you can hit him with. Good times. But on this particular day for me, it was a bit different. Sean, yes, he was one of the captains, and he had the first pick. I can still hear his voice that day. He said, I'm going to pick Brettster. That was his name for me. He picked me first. You see, Sean wanted me to be his third baseman. I was shocked, but certainly motivated to play hard. I was elated when I made a good stop and threw the runner out at first. And Sean, he'd say, that was a great grab. That was awesome. Great. Keep it up. But I was crushed. When a hot shot got past me, it was hit so hard, I really didn't have a chance, but I allowed a run to score. I was crushed until, until Sean came to me and said, forget about it, man. You had no chance. You are still the best. Why do I bring up this story? Because it's a great example of what we're talking about today. You see, when I needed it most, someone, he came alongside of me and he encouraged me and he built me up. Friends, I'm confident that we can all point to times in our lives, those times when someone, they came alongside each and every one of us and they encouraged us when someone that we admired, someone who was in or with it or in the cool group or the best at something, they included us 
and they supported us and they welcomed us and they made us feel like we were unique and special and valuable and we were accepted. I suspect that each of us, we also know exactly what the opposite feels like. We do. We know how it feels to be excluded, to be looked down upon, to be that left out one. Back in the day, I was really a small kid. I was short, I was scrawny, didn't have much muscles. I was very low to the ground and seemed to, to be in the same level as most of those hot shots coming down third base. And in fact, I was actually a pretty good third baseman. They actually called me Hoover back in the day because I could suck anything up just like a vacuum cleaner. Perhaps that's why Sean picked me. I don't know. So anyway, I really do know what it feels like to be that guy most of the time, to be excluded, to be that one that's left out. And believe it or not, so does the man we're talking about today, the Apostle Paul, who in Acts chapter 9, he's still named Saul. In the first part of Acts chapter 9, we see Saul, the great persecutor of the church. We read that he meets Jesus on this road to Damascus, and because of that, Saul becomes a child of God. And in there, we see how Ananias, how he risked everything. When we see that he loved God enough, and he loved Saul as much as God loved him, he went out and he greeted him as a brother, and he healed his blindness. This leads us up to our passage for today. Let's go ahead and read our text. Please stand in honor of reading God's word. I'll be reading Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 30. For some days he was with the disciples in, at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took to him and brought him to the disciples and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this man named Saul and, and the great conversion that he had had on that road to Damascus and how we can look at people today and look at the challenges, the problems in their lives and understand that nobody is too bad for you to love. Nobody is too bad to become a child of God. So Lord, I pray as we look at this text, as we look at how we can come alongside these types of people, alongside our community to build them up, to lift them up, to lead them to Jesus Christ, I pray that you will use this text. Use your words. Speak to our people today, Lord. Speak through me. If I'm the problem, Lord, get me out of the way so that your text will come alive to your people today. We love you, God, and we praise you. We thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Let me begin this morning by asking, do you really believe that God can change people? 
Do you believe that? I'm sure some of you have the same experience as I do. Once people learn I'm a pastor, and so often this is what I hear from them. They say, oh, God, he doesn't want me. I'm too bad. God would never accept me anymore. Do you ever get that? I suspect my fellow pastors out there, I suspect that you get this all the time. Well, this morning, in the few moments that we have together, I want to zero in on one man, on Barnabas, and his role in this story. But we can't jump there without one other observation first, which, again, is my question to you. Do you really believe that God can change people? Sometimes, friends, even us Christians, we can get pretty jaded, can't we? We see people, and what do we want to do? We want to brand them. We want to label them. We assume that all of the things that are wrong with them, well, they're going to be that way forever. We think of family members or friends or co-workers or others in our neighborhoods and our community, and we don't really hold out a lot of hope for them, hope for them to change it all in Christ. So often what happens? We end up giving up on them. We give up praying for them, or if we do pray for them, we do so without really believing that our prayer is going to make a difference in their life. And then, having given up, we don't even think to share anything at all about what God has been doing in our lives. Or we don't think to invite them to come with us to church or to come to Christmas service. Maybe come to a men's breakfast or a women's function or, or whatever's going on. When you start to wonder if, can things really change? I encourage you, friends, to look back to this man named Saul and then have faith. God has changed you, hasn't he? I pray he has. If God has not changed you, then I pray that you would just get on your knees before him and allow him to change you. And, but more important yet is God, he is still changing you, isn't he? I pray that you're allowing him to be in your life and to continue to change you and me to be the type of person he calls us to be. Because friends, I'm going to tell you, none of us here, no one, none of us have yet arrived. We are all still God's work in progress. How do I know? Because you're still here. You're still alive. You're still on this earth. It means God is not through with you yet. He changed this man named Saul. So don't give up hope. Never stop praying. Never stop believing that God really can do it. He really can take the old and make it new. He can take the broken and make it whole. He can take the dead and make it live again. He did it for you and me. And friends, he longs to do it for everyone for all of the others. When we examine Acts chapter 9, it seems like everything in this chapter goes along, it rushes through quite quickly. Look at it. Saul, he meets Jesus on this road to Damascus, and then he gets blinded, and then Ananias comes along and he heals him. Paul, he preaches and he makes people mad. Then he narrowly escapes out of the city through a window in a wall. He comes to Jerusalem, and after Barnabas intercedes for him, he gets to meet the disciples. He gets into that inner circle. Again, he starts preaching, and he gets people mad enough to try to kill him. And again, he escapes. As we read it, it seems to happen really quickly. It seems like Saul, he just kind of explodes onto the scene as this incredibly mature powerful Christian leader. He did it without any training. He didn't have time to grow or mature or to develop. It's one of those factors that we see and we think, well, that was Saul. That was him, man. I could never be or do anything like that. Well, friends, that's not the case. Listen to Saul's own words. 
We find those in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. He said, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when... He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia." And returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. And remained with him 15 days. I mention this background to emphasize this point friends. Spiritual growth takes time. It takes time to get to know and to love Jesus more. It takes time to develop our spiritual gifts and to learn how to use them effectively. It takes time to share faith and to lead others to Christ. It is not instant. We don't wake up one morning and bam, we now we discover that we're suddenly this more mature Christian. It takes time. It takes reflection. It takes choosing to participate with what God is doing in our lives. Yes, Saul, he started out fast. Why? Because he was well trained in theology, even prior to meeting Jesus on that road to Damascus. But he still took time to mature and grow. I think that's really what he was doing when he went to Arabia. He was getting to know Jesus in that desert, maturing as a child of God. In the chronology, Saul, he returns back to Arabia and he stirs up trouble while he's in Damascus, narrowly escapes with his life, and then he heads over to Jerusalem. Listen again to verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. See why I said earlier that even the great apostle Paul, he knew what it was like to be excluded, to be rejected, to be left out. He comes here to Jerusalem. I'm sure he was eager to meet the disciples, the ones who had actually walked with this man named Jesus. They heard him talk. They heard him teach. They heard the stories. They saw him share his joy at meeting Jesus. And no doubt, he was there to apologize for the terrorism he had caused the early church. And then what happened? They didn't let him in. He tried to join, but he was left out. Unfortunately, sometimes the same thing happens still today. People, they'll come through the doors of our church, maybe even try to join the church, join the disciples, but instead of a welcome, they feel left out. Instead of finding community, they find this thing we call exclusivism. To me, friends, one of the most amazing things about the early Christian community, it's shared with us in the book of Acts, is really how open a community it was. Philip, he went to Samaria, and the apostles welcomed the Samaritans. A little further along, Peter, he goes to the Gentiles, and the church welcomes them. Even in the early story of Saul, Ananias welcomes him as a brother in Christ. But then there's this hiccup. That comes along. Saul, he returns to Jerusalem. And the disciples, they were afraid. I'm sure that they were thinking, okay, we need to be careful here, guys. It might be a trick. I bet he's just trying to get inside our little community here so that he can destroy it. He can disrupt it. And he can have his own way. So they quite naturally were afraid. 
in Acts chapter 4, we meet a generous Christian named Barnabas. Acts 4.36, it tells us what his name means. It says this, Joseph, who was also called the Apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's a description of his character and his major role in the early church. Here in Acts chapter 9, what do we see? We see Barnabas, he comes in now and he's using that gift. He's coming alongside this man named Saul. Look at verse 27. It says, but Barnabas took him, him being Saul here, and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas, he came alongside of Saul, and he introduced him to the others. He vouched for him. He bridged that gap, and he sponsored Saul into the membership. Most often, that's what has to happen before anyone can really become a part of a community. They need someone, someone on the inside, someone in that inner circle of that community to reach out to them and to form some kind of relationship, some kind of bond with them that then opens up that rest of the community to them. And that's exactly what the world today needs when it comes to people coming to know Christ. They need someone, someone who knows Jesus already to take them and to bring them to the foot of the cross, to bring them to Jesus Christ. Church, that's our role, at least according to Jesus. What did he tell us to do? What was his command? To go and do what? Into all of the world and to make disciples. How must we do this? We go to them. We take them by the hand and we lead them to Jesus. We take them into our community of Jesus known as the church. Barnabas is a beautiful model for us. Think about it. Barnabas had to get past his own fear. He had to forgive Saul. He had to trust that Saul's conversion, that it was genuine. And then he had to get out of his comfort zone. He had to go to Saul, put his own neck in the line, bring Saul then into the early Christian community and get him in there. Friends, you and I, we must do the same thing. And as we do, yes, it's bound to shake some things up a little bit. It's bound to change our community, both our larger community and our smaller community groups. But sometimes that's what holds us back, right? Because I guess, say, let's be honest, in the church, we don't like things to change. We don't. And if we get new people into the church, well, things are going to change. We don't invite anybody to be part of our community because we don't want our community to change. And often the result is this. Those people, they never, ever get the opportunity to experience the love of God for them. They never get to see the love of God in action. And they won't hear about this amazing love of Jesus Christ for them. Friends, the consequences of what we're doing or not doing is eternal. But what happens, what really happens when someone, they do come alongside, they do it just like Barnabas did. They're included in that community. They're welcomed in and their lives are changed. Now, I want you to think for a moment. Think of someone in your life. Is there someone in your circle of influence, one who's not a part of the community? Someone who doesn't have a group of people around them, a group to support them through life, to love them unconditionally, to be there, to share the great times, and to also share those difficult times. Can you imagine how it feels for them? When they get the bad news on that phone call, and they have nobody that they can call, nobody to cry with, nobody who will drop everything and come on over, nobody who will be there and love them and listen without judgment. 
You probably can because you, most likely, you have felt that way at some time too. And then I trust you found community in Jesus Christ. That's what you have to share. Friends, that's your testimony. That's my testimony. I was lost and alone and then God, He revealed His Son to me and He placed me in the midst of a group of people, a community of people that love me too, even though at my core, I'm just as unlovable as everyone else. That's what Barnabas did for Saul. And that's what we must do for others. Friends, we need to come alongside of them. We need to get rid of our fears, our apprehensions, and we must invite them into community. Now, I know, I understand, there's no perfect church community. No human community anywhere is perfect. That's why love is important. So that when we do blow it, we can love one another through those hurts, through those mistakes, and we can grow as a result. But we do have community in our community, or in each of our churches. We have that as large groups and smaller groups. And you and I, we live in a world that desperately needs that community around them. And please know, I hope you understand, we're not here trying to recruit people. We're not recruiting people to our community because we want to be great or because that will somehow make God be happier with us. The point is this, we're not doing it for us at all. Why do we invite people? We invite them because they have a need. They have a deep pain. And you and I, we know the answer. The answer is found in the love of God, in His embrace, in His welcoming of a lost child home. And those people God has placed within our circle of influence, they need to experience Jesus as the answer to all of those questions and to all of that pain in their lives. Let me just close with this. I want to wrap this up this way. There are two communities we need to come alongside. The first is our community of faith. That's our fellow Christians. Doesn't matter what church you go to. Doesn't matter what denomination that church is. We are all in one fellowship alongside of each other as Christ's larger church. We should be supporting each other and working together to accomplish the Great Commission. That's what I love about these community events. If someone, if they come to join us here and they decide that they want to fellowship with any of the churches, all I can say is hallelujah, amen, right? The point is this, that they find where they fit in God's community and they get engaged in what God is doing there. The second is the community around us. It's Cherryvale or wherever you live. We must come alongside those who are struggling in life. They don't know where to turn. No one seems to have the answers at all. They can't make it without help. And friends, we have the answer. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. If, is anyone too bad for Jesus to help? No. Is anyone too far gone for Jesus to care about? No. So why is it then that we give up on them? Listen, friends, churches, we have got to show this community the love of Christ by our attitudes. And that's the toughest one. I understand. Oh, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. I do. I hear it all the time. But we must do it by our attitudes and also by our actions, by our deeds, how we treat them, what we do for them, regardless of how they treat us. Just like Paul, 
if you're not making people mad at you for what you're saying or doing, now that's assuming now that you're sharing Christ with them, then all I can say is you're not doing enough. What can you do? How about this? Get off the couch. Get out of your lazy boy. Turn off the stinking TV. Get your nose out of the phone and start meeting people. Start interacting with them. Start building relationships with them. I tell my people all the time, ministry is best done through relationships. And that is so true, friends. And then what you're going to find out is just how much they need Christ. And then you can effectively share Christ with them. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient. It'll take some time to get comfortable doing it. But friends, their eternal future is at stake and that should be all the motivation that you and I, that we need to act. Join me, friends. Join me in coming alongside of our community and let's take Cherryville for Christ. Amen? Yeah, amen. Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed. And thanks again for listening to the Cherryville First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, and have a blessed day.